Today's reading is Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. It can be found on page 1043 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful humanity to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in human flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what, the nature, what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. <clears throat> the mind controlled by the sinful nature is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but are in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. <clears throat> righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good, good. Uh, I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago about uh, this thing called Skinner's Box. Has anyone ever heard of it? Maybe you can give me this slide, Dan. If you took a psychology class, you might uh, remember this, uh, this box that was designed to do experiments on rats. And it had a, a number of different functions. There's a, a light in it. There's a lever. There's a dispenser for food. There's... The, the interesting thing, those grates there can shock the rats. So the, uh, one of the more famous experiments goes like this. The light goes on and the rat gets shocked. Light goes on, rat gets shocked. And then they notice after a while, the rats start, they brace themselves because they know it's going to get shocked, right? So there's this level of predictability at work here. Then they add another component, second experiment. They let the, the lever turn off the shocker. So the light goes on, the rat gets shocked, and then it learns really quickly to hit the lever, and then it stops getting shocked. And they said all the rats learn this. Every rat they ever tried learns to stop the shocking before it starts, without fail. And it happens quickly. Third experiment, they put a rat in a box, and it just gets shocked at random. They're just shocking it. Light's going on, nothing happens, shocking it. Then they take that rat, and they put it in one of these other boxes, and none of these rats can learn how to stop the shocking. The ones that are getting shocked at random can never learn how to stop the shock. You see, the idea behind this is, and by the way, this is all human psychology, right? Is that these rats have this, this idea ingrained in their heads that no matter what they do, 
that they live in a world that's just random, that it's out of control, that shocks happen for no reason, and they have no opportunity or potential to stop these shocks, no matter what happens to them. Now, the sad thing is that uh, I think that some of us might be sitting here thinking, uh, especially those who've been a part of the church for a while, um, what, what else is there in life? What's next in life? I've been shocked so many times, whether it be by the church or the world, which is inevitable, that there's some, something that just kind of becomes numb or calloused in us, where we kind of just stop paying attention. We're, we're kind of like, what do I do anymore? And I know from experience, from talking with some of you, and by the way, <laughs> what you're going through, but let me just spill my guts to you. Um, you know, life can be a roller coaster of shocks and ups and downs and feeling like you're distant and, and a little bit numb and these words don't really make sense to us anymore. And so my hope today is to give you some real practical ways through by the scripture and to kind of identify what are these shocks in our life? What are these, these things that kind of numb us and keep us maybe in an unteachable place in life? So with that, I want to invite the spirit again. God, we need you to do something today. Uh, we're admittedly so, sometimes unattentive and numb and feeling uh, just kind of messed up by the world. So I pray that this morning we would have ears to hear what you have to say, that we would be open, um, teachable, pliable, and hopeful that something more uh, might happen beyond ourselves, more than, than we could do on our own. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So shocks are inevitable <laughs> every day, every week. It's not surprising that the week that I uh, get to, to give a message was the, the most shocking and the busiest week of the year for me. <laughs> so I'm living this sermon as I speak. Um, I think that while shocks can numb us and um, frustrate us, they can also motivate us, and they can be a teaching moment. And that's kind of my hope today, is that, that we're, we're in a place where we can actually learn something. Uh, last week, uh, Sam talked in chapter 7 of Romans. This week, we're going to be in Romans 8. But I want to kind of pull back into this chapter, because I reread it, and this clicked so much with me that I, I went back and reread it, like a number of different versions. And I thought, we just read it. So if you weren't here, it's okay. I'm going to read it. I actually have the scripture on the screen. I chose to read it out of the message version, just because it makes a lot of sense to me. It goes like this. And by the way, this is the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the Romans. Um, we know him as this great theologian, lofty, Pharisee of Pharisees is what he called himself, disciplined guy. And here he probably gets the most vulnerable and intimate. And uh, <laughs> well, that's why I can relate to it. Here, here's how it goes. I need something more. For if I know the law, but can't, for I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. 
It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything. My rope. Is there no one that can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? So Paul here is kind of a, in a desperate place. And I think sometimes we read this stuff and it goes right over our head. And um, where he in another version says, the things I hate, I end up doing. I mean, think about it. What is the thing that you hate that you end up doing? This is all of us to some degree or another. I think we all wrestle with this. In the beginning of my marriage, I wrote Shar a poem. And uh, before you ooh and ah about it, it, it was more of a, a confession. Um, it was about nine months into our marriage, I realized I was doing things to her that hurt her so bad. <laughs> and I had to do something to, to, it was more of a confession. And I got her permission. I'm going to read just a snippet of it that I think talks about doing the things that you hate to do. And so why do I keep doing this stuff? It goes like this. Tashar, my loving wife. Why do I break down the one I want to abound? Scold the one I want to hold. Constant jeers toward my lover. <clears throat> the same words unacceptable to my peers. My partner and confidant how I despise the ways I taunt. I ache with the realization of mistreating you, letting out aggression, scapegoat for my anxiety. Hear my confession. Um, the, the sad and funny thing was, uh, she goes, well, read it to me first before you share it. <laughs> and she goes, you know, you kind of still struggle with those things. <laughs> I'm like, what? No, I've grown. We've been married 16 years. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that. I keep doing those things, you know? It's like, why do I keep going back there? And it's interesting. It's the people usually that are right in front of you are the ones that we hurt the most. And it's this turmoil that I think we're, we deal with. There's a level of intensity about Paul's words, and I don't know what he was struggling with, but that cut to the core. This isn't about, oh man, I looked at Facebook a little too much this week. I hate that. Or, you know, I procrastinate, or I ate that piece of pie. Uh, Fourth of July really got the best of me. Or, you know, these are things that, that, that sit deep within us. And so I want to just say that um, I think we all wrestle with this to one level or another. And, and throughout the message, I want you to listen to what's going on. Not just me, but something internally. What's cropping up? What, what is that voice inside of you? What is that thing that you hate that you want to deal with? Because we're going to end with a little uh, time of meditation where hopefully we can start confronting those, those things in our life. So the, the question the writer poses is, who will rescue me? In one version, it's from this body of death. The, you know, the thing that's taking me down. Who's going to rescue me? And the answer is, I think I got it on the scripture. It says, 
Thanks be to God who delivers me. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So typically when I hear this talked about, it's condemnations talked about on a global, universal, end of life, after death kind of way, right? Like condemnation is usually uh, death and hell, right? Um, and this is something that uh, the gospel is related to. If you believe in Jesus, you don't go to hell. And I kind of want to um, confront that in a minute. But I wonder, does our culture even, even um, struggle with condemnation? Are they even concerned about it? I think my friends are like, you know, I don't know much about the afterlife. I don't know what happens when I die. But I surely don't believe in a God that condemns people, right? None of us want to believe in a God that sends people to hell or punishes people. Or There's a place where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. To me, that's the culture that I live in, friends that I have are like, I just don't buy it. And by the way, if anyone's condemning, it's Christians, is what they tell me. They're the judgmental condemning ones. Um, I want to believe in a God that's, that's, that's full of life and light. And I, I'm not saying this is right. I'm saying this is the culture we live in. And so, as I was uh, contemplating this whole idea of, contempla- of, of condemnation, um, I was wondering, what, what does it look like for our culture? What does it look like for us beyond the afterlife? Again, I don't know what's going to happen afterlife. I think we want a, a definite, but I do know what happens in my daily life. And I think the curious person, the person that's wondering, does, this, does religion, does Christianity even hold water? They're asking that question, what is it doing for me now? What How do I deal with my issues now and this condemnation that we all wrestle with? So what does it look like? Did anyone get a chance to go down to the Art Street exhibit in the warehouse? Yeah, I know you were there. I think we saw you. Anyway, there was this one exhibit that had uh, two two fences built on both sides, and it was maybe 20 feet long, and you're not quite sure what's going on there. It's it's very interactive, and you're kind of strolling in, and you start hearing these voices, these whispers. It's like, what? And, and, you know, me, I'm like looking for the speakers, you know, what's going on here? And then you hear, can you believe what she said? Can, what is she wearing? Oh, my gosh, he is so ugly. And, and there's these little voices, and as you go in, they get, it's more and more chaotic. And this is kind of the picture I get of this, these internal voices of condemnation that we all wrestle with on one level or another. Oh, can you believe? Are you, you're not good enough to that. You're, you, you won't meet up to that. And by the way, this is part of my personal struggle. This week, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll bring the message. My, my first response actually is, all right, I get to do something that's meaningful. And then the very next day, it's, what are you thinking? <laughs> you, you're, not, you're not good enough to do that. You're not in a place in life where you should be delivering this. You you don't have anything to say. You're not going to connect with them. They're not going to understand what you have. See what I mean? Voices of condemnation. I find that it's usually on the cusp of anything that you do that's beyond yourself. We might call it kingdom-oriented or just selfless. Whenever you want to volunteer for something, whenever it's, it's helping someone out, whenever it's something on a grander scale, 
there's always resistance. There's always immediate sense of, uh, you shouldn't be doing that. That's not going to fly. Right? I wanted, we wanted to invite that family to live with us. And it was like, yes, we, we can do this. Well, what if they stay too long? You know? <laughs> what if they break something? You know? Or I want to give some money. I want to be generous. You know what? You need to save your money. You need to build up your bank account. You don't really have a retirement. What are you thinking? You need to be a good steward of your money and save it. Don't give it away. Right? These are the lies, the voices of condemnation. Whenever you take a step out to do something that's noble and worthy, service-oriented, right on the cusp of that, there's a voice in my life, at least, that says, don't do that. Or even encouraging Like I said, distractions, busyness, it all gets in the way. I started wondering, do kids go through this as well? I got two boys. Are they they plagued with any of these voices? And really, the moment I started contemplating this, I saw a post on Facebook from a friend of mine who's in ministry. She's doing a kids camp with a bunch of other leaders. And I think there's like 300 kids there. And she said after one talk, they asked uh, the kids to write down on a 3x5 card any questions or things they wanted to discuss the next day. And they said as they were going through these that evening with the leaders, they were shocked because there was not just one but multiple cards that said something to the effect of, and I actually got one, and I I put it on the screen because it it moved me um, almost to tears. This kid says, what if I'm not good enough? for me to live this life? What if I can't go on? Nobody cares. Um, This stuff is real. Um, These voices are real to all of us. I'm not sure how deep this goes, but uh, kids, junior high, I don't know how young it goes. Um, Side note, don't we want to be a community that, that challenges these notions and say, no, you are valuable. You are cared for. We believe in you. (laughs) We love you deeply. Life is worth living. And that's how, by the way, we do this for each other. And we're going to get into this, how to oppose or combat these voices. But this is the first step to being a community that takes action in one another's life and speaks truth into each other's lives. Um, You can go on. People do care. And and this is the starting point. So for me, like I said, it manifests itself. I, I had a long time to meditate and think about this. Sharon, I had multiple discussions. Um, and this, by the way, I don't know where you're coming from, and that's why I ask you to, to ruminate. Think about it as I speak. But for me, the, the word that comes to my mind is enough. You are not enough. Throughout my life, and I think men and boys struggle with this in particular, The question is, do you have what it takes? Uh, People who are about to get married, do you have what it takes to be the husband or wife for this marriage? Oh, how about if you're about to have kids? Keith, you can't be a dad. Who do you think you are? You're not going to be able to raise these kids. Oh, I want to go into business, or I want to do something in ministry. I want to do something service-oriented. I want to be a missionary. Nah, don't do that. You need to be safe. Other people do that, not you. You don't have what it takes. 
you don't have enough. So maybe you see what I have on my hand. We're going to get to this. But I wrote down enough um, because we're going to start hopefully confronting these, these voices that, that tell us lies um, that, that aren't true about who we are. Come on in, guys. Take a seat. You're right on time. <laughs> you are enough. Come on in. <laughs> so the question is, what's yours? What's your voice of condemnation? What is the thing that plagues you on a daily basis? Sometimes we just stuff it down. We don't even want to think about this stuff. It's almost too scary, I think, to talk about. So Paul goes on in the scripture, and he's asking, who's going to rescue me? And again, uh, this message is, is the gospel in a nutshell. He's like, Jesus saves me. Jesus rescues me. And there's this new power source. And I want to quickly say that, and I hope I'm not stepping on any toes right now, but the more the gospel, I think, is just said in a banner, slogan-type way, I think onlookers are saying when there's no action or demonstration along with it, it becomes a hollow cliche. The power is sucked right out of it. And this is not an indictment about us by any means. But when you say, Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, he, he rose again. This is true. I'm not making light of this. And you can go to heaven or not go to hell. I think the culture we live in says, I just don't buy that. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to believe in that. Um, I want to see it in action. I want a demonstration. I want someone that's living it out right in front of me. Church function, meaning we want to be a people that demonstrate. I hope I can speak for you. We want to demonstrate what Jesus talks about. We want to put his teachings into practice. I want to be more humble. I want to be more gracious and generous. I want to be about justice, caring for the, the poor, the, the people that don't have a lot. I want, to, um, I want to be a peacemaker, like Jesus says. Um, and so when we say, the gospel's the answer, and there's no action, the power's gone. A guy by the name of G.K. Chesterton, we were talking about him the other day, said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. Rather, it's been found difficult and not tried. So, maybe this is what's missing. Have we not tried it? Have we not engaged in it on a deeper level? I have so many friends... I give up. I, I, want, I want it. They're like, I want this. I just don't see the power in it. I don't see the action involved. Do we want to be a community that's just rooted in words and doctrines and traditions that we pass down? These aren't bad things. I think we want to be a people that are intentionally putting Jesus' words into practice. And it's not just for you and you. It's, it's a confirmation in my own life. I, want, I long to have this stuff become real, and I need it to be real. Or you know what? This is just a waste of time. These are just habits and actions that we do on a weekly basis. You might have something better to do if this stuff 
doesn't take root in your life. Um, the second part of this message is all about the Holy Spirit. And I uh, was joking earlier that I, look at this is my message right here. I got three hours of stuff to do. So instead of preaching at you, I've put together a few things that I would highly encourage you. One is called the Holy Spirit's role in your life. And they're just scriptures that you can go and look up, meditate on, apply to your life. I'm going to pass these out in a minute. Because really, we need to know what the function and the power source is of this, this new way of living that's promised in scripture. And then the last one is, again, an exercise on journaling, confronting, com- confronting condemnation, and opening up to the spirit. I'll pass those out in a minute. Um, couple words on the Holy Spirit. Um, The way the scripture puts it is that there's a new power source at work in our life. It says, those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, the living and breathing God. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them. This is the first step is some of you might be going, I don't know if the spirit lives in me or not. Um, The promise of scripture is for those who invite God into their life, that there's a helper. The, The scripture talks about the counselor, a guide, one that comes alongside. The, the Greek word is paraclete, the one who comes alongside like a paramedic who's on the scene, always guiding, always helping. Or the other word is pneuma. You can look that up in, in the guide. It's that of a wind or a strong like force. Uh, the Old Testament uses the word ruah. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's the breath of God. It's the breath of God that, that empowers and enlivens and enables you to be and become transformative. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the answer that Paul's talking about. Thanks be to God. And then he goes right on to say, it's the Spirit who does this. For those who trust in God have the Spirit in them. So we want to be a people that listen, that uh, give way to, that submit to. These are the words in this, this uh, exercise of, of being led by the Spirit, being intoxicated by the Spirit. <laughs> have you read that scripture? I maybe took it to another level, but it says don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The same word, though. Be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? <laughs> it would be crazy. There's something beyond myself that's taken charge, that's causing me to live a life that, that is, is truly in line. It's not me anymore that's doing it. So I actually wrote these words, listen and be led. The experiment that I want to enter into for just a few minutes is to try to identify and confront what are these voices? Keith, you're not enough. You shouldn't be speaking. You're not living a good enough life. You don't have anything to say. Uh, you know, you, your marriage probably, you know, you shouldn't be a father. You sh- you're not a good husband. You, these accusations. We need to identify and confront them. And then on the other hand, um, I want to listen and be led by the Spirit. You might want to write intoxicated. (laughs) But this is the idea. Um, On the journaling exercise, I encourage you to do this on a daily basis. Try it. Maybe alone. And maybe some of you are like, I don't want to write on my hands right now. 
Write on a piece of paper. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Write it in your heart. The point is, we need to start doing business. We need to start engaging in these things away from words and slogans that don't mean anything anymore. And we need to invite the Spirit into our life. So this is the exercise. Thanks, Dan, for doing that. I want to just take a few minutes. What, what time is it? Jake was going to come over at a certain time. All right. And, um, and engage in this way. Have you already thought of something? Is something already coming into your mind? Am I off my rocker? Do, do, we, do we all struggle with something or another? Okay, thanks for nodding. Hey, Jake, would you come up? I said maybe he could play some background music so we wouldn't feel so awkward just thinking and meditating. But um, if you do feel awkward about it, you can look at these pieces of paper. Would you help me pass these out? Maybe pass those around. Thanks. Like this feels like a workshop or something like we're doing something yeah <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll sketch it out and stuff <laughs> this is spiritual stuff right now <laughs> yeah don't be a rat in a cage huh? we got just a couple minutes so take your time i'd also encourage you let this bleed into our communion time because as we take in the elements God does something powerful in our life. So take a few minutes. Ask yourself, what's the voice? And, and this isn't going to be a, a conclusive thing in two minutes. This is a starting point. And hopefully you can come up with a, a Say, I want to be led. I need to listen to God's spirit. I need to submit to God's spirit. Away from loneliness and anxiety, full of the spirit. What are your things that you need to uh, open up to God in? Take some time.